Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Our kids have said to us since we moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community and of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live. Scary Mysteries, Twisted Twos, The Springfield Three, and The Eyeball Killer. Tales of hauntings, murder, and scary mysteries. Every week, Twisted Twos dives into a pair of uniquely terrifying true stories that are worthy of a more in-depth look. For this week, we focus on the mysterious disappearance of three young women and the murderous acts of a serial killer with a fascination for eyes. Get ready for Scary Mysteries, Twisted Twos. Number one, the Springfield Three. Graduation day festivities were underway on June 6, 1992. Two Missouri friends, 18-year-old Stacy McCall and 19-year-old Suzanne Streeter, were fresh graduates from Kickapoo High School. And that night, the two bounced from one graduation party to another, having fun and enjoying themselves. When it was time to go home, They were supposed to stay at a friend's house, but decided against it after realizing it was just too crowded. So instead, they chose to drive back to Suzanne's. Cheryl Levitt, who was 49, was a single mother who was close to her daughter, Suzanne. She had been working as a cosmetologist for a salon. Between the hours of 2 a.m. and 8 a.m. on June 7th, all three women disappeared from Levitt's home. It's assumed that both Stacy and Suzanne made it there because their cars were found in the driveway. On the morning of June 7th, their friends came looking for them because the two didn't show up to go to the water park. When they arrived, they saw that the front door of the house was open and one of the globes of the front porch light was smashed. All of the women's purses were inside, including their cigarettes, and the beds looked like they were slept in. While the friend was inside the home, the phone rang and she picked it up. On the other end was a man saying lewd sexual things. She got creeped out and hung up, but then the phone rang again and it was the same man. She hung up again and left, but not before cleaning up the broken porch-like glass. Unknowingly, she may have ruined potential evidence. The next person to visit the home was Janice McCall, Stacy's mom. She visited in the afternoon and felt uneasy about what she saw. She noted that all three purses were on the steps leading to Susie's room and acting on intuition called police to report the women missing. While inside, she also noticed that there were messages on the answering machine and listened to them. There was one from an unknown male that McCall found very disturbing. Unfortunately, she deleted it, also unknowingly eliminating potential evidence that could have helped the case. More than 25 years have passed since that night 
and the three women are still considered missing. No one has seen or heard from them again, and both Suzanne and her mother have been proclaimed dead, but their files are still marked as missing since no bodies have ever been found. As for suspects, there were several that caught the attention of police. First, there was Bart Streeter, Susie's older brother. Bart was an alcoholic and also had a falling out with his mom recently. Though he was questioned, eventually he was dismissed as a potential suspect. The next person of interest was Robert Cox, a convicted kidnapper and murderer who many believe is the person responsible. He lived in Springfield at the time, and it made claims that he knew the women were dead and that their bodies would never be discovered. However, police are hesitant to take his word for it, since he could only be claiming responsibility for the women's disappearance for notoriety. Another suspect that emerged is Suzanne's ex-boyfriend, Dustin Reckla, and his friend, Michael Clay. The men had a falling out with her prior to their disappearance, and it's noted that Clay had wished all three women were dead. Both of them have not been ruled out completely, but no evidence has been found to link them. A witness told police he saw who he believed was Suzanne driving a white van. She looked distressed and was being ordered by a man to back out slowly and get them out of there. Other tips came in about how the women were supposed to be buried underneath the foundation of Cox Hospital because it was still under construction when the incident occurred. One reporter hired an expert engineer to use ground-penetrating radar, and he did find an anomaly in the ground. This engineer could not provide assurance the anomaly was bodies, but he did indicate it was similar to the sort of impression you would find in a graveyard. Despite this, police aren't convinced. Since the anomaly was found in 2010, they have refused to excavate it and won't have a core sample taken despite the family offering to pay for it themselves. Today, no one knows where the three women are, and it remains one of the most famous unsolved cases in Missouri's history. Number 2. Charles Albright, the Eyeball Killer Also known as the Dallas Ripper or the Dallas Slasher, the Eyeball Killer is one nickname that is stuck with Charles Albright. Born in Texas in 1933, he was the adoptive son of Della and Fred Albright. From a young age, Charles would kill animals and bring them home, where his mother would help him in stuffing them, thinking he may be interested in taxidermy. He was extremely smart and by 15 he was able to graduate high school and expressed interest in medicine, so he started pre-med training, but was unable to complete it. At 16 he was caught for petty theft and sentenced to one year in jail. Once he got out he went to college for pre-med studies but was again caught stealing and this caused him to get expelled. Albright didn't go to jail because he wasn't prosecuted but he began falsifying documents and forged signatures stating he had graduated with a bachelor's and master's degree in medicine. He got married and using the forged certification secured a teaching job, but he was caught forging checks however and placed on probation. His marriage soon fell apart and he then started stealing merchandise from various businesses. One he frequented was a local hardware store and he was again caught and served two years in jail for the crime. In 1981, Albright was caught molesting the nine-year-old daughter of one of his friends. He was prosecuted and pled guilty, then received probation in return. He later on said that he was innocent, but only pled guilty to avoid the hassle of it all. 
1985, he would find a live-in partner who ended up supporting him by paying his bills. He spent his time working a paper route and took the opportunity during this to meet up with prostitutes. His first victim was one of these ladies of the night named Mary Pratt. Her body was found on December 30, 1990. She was laying face up, wearing only a t-shirt, and had been shot in the back of the head with a 44 caliber pistol. The coroner discovered that both her eyes had been surgically removed without making any marks on the eyelids, and those have never been found. The second victim was discovered on February 10, 1991. Susan Peterson was also a known prostitute in the area. She was wearing only a t-shirt that was pulled up, causing her to be nearly nude. She suffered three gunshot wounds, one to the back of her head like the first victim, a second to the left breast that entered her heart, and a third one at the top of the head. Her eyes were also precisely removed. The third victim was part-time prostitute Shirley Williams, found dead near a school on March 18, 1991. She was completely nude and lying on her side with her eyes again completely removed. However, this time, it lacked the finesse and precision the previous two victims had. Williams' face also bore evidence that she was beat up before she was shot in the top of her head. After several prostitutes came forward, citing Albright as a frequent customer and also that he was abusive, police secured a search warrant for his home. Inside, they found books about serial killers, Nazis, exacto knives, and various clothing soaking in bleach. But the creepiest and most telling items they found were thousands of blown-up pictures of women's eyes. Even though the gun retrieved in his house didn't match the bullets in the case, the prosecution relied heavily on hair fibers found on the victim's bodies matching those of Albright. In the end, he was found guilty for the murder of Shirley Williams and sentenced to life in prison. There are people who believe that Albright might not be the eyeball killer because of testimony his wife gave supposedly proving his car was unavailable on the dates of the first two murders and that the evidence was simply circumstantial. But regardless, today at the age of 84, he remains incarcerated in Texas. So there were two of the most mysterious and scary stories around. The world can be a crazy place and Twisted 2s is sure to show you why. If you enjoyed this video, then please remember to give it a thumbs up and subscribe to our channel, please. We have many new scary mysteries videos every single week that we know you'll love. Thanks for watching, and I'll see you next week. Our kids have said to us since we've moved to Minnesota, we are far more active than we've ever been anywhere else we've ever lived. Moving to Minnesota opened up a lot of doors for us. Just this overall sense of community, of values that, you know, Minnesotans have. It's a real accepting, loving community, especially with two young kids. See what makes Minnesota the star of the North. New residents share why they love calling it home at exploreminnesota.com slash live.